Welcome to the Friday, August 16th, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, Hickenlooper's out, winnowing the field, and Steve King being Steve King. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Thomas Nelson of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Aaron Murphy, the newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief, and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up... Still too many. John Hickenlooper, the former governor of Colorado, dropped out of the race for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. For a lot of Democrats, it's not a day too soon. Nothing personal, John. They just say there's too many people in this race. Uh, I talked to him last Friday night at the North Iowa Democrats wing ding, and although he talked a good game, it seemed he was aware of the difficulties his campaign was facing. He said, we had a couple events today that, you know, there were 40 people there, not 80, not 100, not 500. Um, and, and he also said that in a field this large, he said, imagine how hard it is to raise money. And I guess that's sort of the reality of running a campaign. Um, and he said that with a field that large, it makes it harder for every candidate, especially when you're polling at 0.1%, by the way. Uh, and it was interesting. He said that uh, he he thought there might be like a dozen or 15 people in the race. And he said, but uh, 24 people is a different world. So farewell to John Hickenlooper, at least temporarily, because he might think about coming back as a senator. That would be the second Hickenlooper in the Senate. Um, The first, of course, being born Hickenlooper from um, Iowa. Not born, Bork. Burke, yeah, Burke. Burke Hickenlooper. Burke Hickenlooper from Cedar Rapids served as governor and senator. So moving right along, what can winnow the Iowa field? David Axelrod, the brains behind the Obama campaign in 2008, told me at the wing ding that Iowa will do what Iowa does and Iowa will clarify this race. (laughs) He didn't say exactly how Iowa was going to do that, but uh, with less than six months until the February 3rd caucuses, some people doubt that anything will winnow this large and unwieldy field. Um, from the State Fair, Aaron reported that even the Hickenloopers in the field were drawing sizable crowds, and it's the same pretty much everywhere every one of them goes. Uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg drew a couple hundred people in Tipton the other night, and candidates are getting similar crowds, seems like, everywhere they go. Aaron, uh, you've written about this for the weekend. Um, what's the outlook for winnowing this field? Money, uh, popular support, DNC debates, polls, or something else? Yeah, it, it might not necessarily be Iowa that winnows the field, at least before the Iowa caucuses. Um, you know, talking to some people who have been around, um, uh, they still expect there will be a, a, a big chunk of candidates in this field on caucus night that, that, and, and, and that's kind of what we talk about in the, in the story. There's, there's not a ton of incentive for candidates to jump out before then, unless they literally run out of money and, and can't pay staff, can't pay staff anymore. And, and that's possible, but you know, so we're at 23 now. Um, one uh, democratic campaign vet I talked to said it, 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 it may get down to 15, um, uh, by the caucuses, I think where you will see what it sounds like where people think it'll really winnow is after Iowa. So Iowa will do its job as far as winnowing the field through the caucuses that they just 
it might not be able to do that much before the caucuses. Um, but you come out of the caucuses, um, and, and if only, you know, five or six candidates have gotten any kind of measure of support whatsoever in Iowa, then that may finally spell the end for some of these other campaigns. But before then, um, like I said, there's not a ton of reason for candidates to drop out. It, it's pretty easy to come to Iowa and run a campaign on the cheap. Um, so I think we're going to be um, um, stuck with this most of this field for for most of the run-up to the caucuses yet. The one thing that could push someone out is this next round of debates. Uh, a little harder to qualify, need more donors, uh, need to show up at least 2% in more polls. Um, so for those candidates that aren't able to qualify for those debates, and as of right now, we've got nine in, a few more on the fringe that could still make it. Um, maybe Maybe after that, Maybe for some of those that don't make that stage, that that forces them out. Um, but like I said, uh, there wasn't. A, there's not a great sense that a whole wave of these candidates are going to start dropping out anytime soon. Aaron, one of the things about uh, the Iowa caucus campaign, and I guess Iowa Democrats have only themselves to blame, is that there are all these built-in events: the wing ding, state <laughs> fair, the dinner formerly known as the JJ dinner. Um, Hall of Fame, all of these steak fry that candidates don't have to organize on their own. They don't have to pay to, uh, you know, rent a a hall or an arena. Uh, It's just there. Show up, give a speech, work the crowd. Uh, So, I mean, that just sort of makes it even easier to campaign here, doesn't it? And and cheaper, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And you can come to one of those and speak to a couple thousand people who are, you know, talk about a crowd full of likely caucus goers i mean that's where they are i mean that's that's a huge opportunity to to get now now you're also competing with this year 20 other campaigns as well for attention on those kinds of days but you know it's you don't have to buy a big tv app you don't have to buy a billboard you don't have to buy mailers you don't have to um you know be on the radio you can come to one of those and get your message out to the most important people in this race and in, in those, in those hardcore uh, active Iowa Democrats. So, so you're absolutely right. Th- those kinds of events. And even beyond that, you know, it's, it's fairly, as long as you can get to Iowa and you hop in a car and you can go to county events, county level events and, and talk to people um, at those as well. So um, as we kind of talk about the story, that's one of the, the things that, that Iowans always talk about. That's a reason for having Iowa first in the nation because you don't need to be a big money candidate. You can come here and run a grassroots campaign and, and get attention. That that's one of the reasons people say Iowa is good as the first in the nation. This year, maybe that's a double edged sword in this size of a field that uh, um, candidates are able to stick around and keep campaigning despite some other factors that show that maybe they shouldn't be. We saw that, of course, with Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum in the Republican caucus campaigns in the past. You know, just buy them a pizza and put a little gas in their car, and they can make it to the next pizza ranch where they'll <laughs> talk to some people. And, um, and and Todd, that's always been one of the arguments for Iowa is that anybody can come here and campaign. Jimmy Carter showed us that uh, a long time ago. Everybody comes, you know, campaign on the cheap. You get a fair shot. Um, are, are the DNC debate rules changing that? Well, yeah, I think those rules are certainly going to reduce the, the field of candidates that are going to be, you know, 
have the opportunity to, to stand on that national stage and debate in front of that big national audience. Although at this point, I think there are a lot of these candidates that are sort of at the tail end that have gotten more than a fair shot here. I mean, it's, you know, John Delaney's been here since, what, I think I was in high school or something. He's been campaigning for president here, it seems like. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of these, uh, you know, the folks that are not polling so well and not resonating, they they certainly, it's not for lack of trying. They've, they've traveled the state, they've delivered their message, they've, they've been seen by caucus goers and, and it, it just hasn't happened for them. And I think that's how the process has generally worked in the past. Who resonates moves up and those that don't move down. And uh, But yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure the debates or the caucuses are gonna winnow this field down to a, a size that, you know, is, is maybe what voters would, would like to see. I think, you know, in particular, you've got candidates like a, like a Tom Steyer who uh, has the financial resources to, to sort of buy his way into debates and, and keep his uh, name out there in, in advertising. And I, I don't think he has any uh, desire to drop out even if his polling doesn't look so hot. I think he's interested in getting his message out and that's, he's probably gonna stick around. Yeah, talking to Joe Sestek over the weekend, uh, he, he didn't mention Steyer by name, but uh, talked about the, the rule, debate eligibility rules and said it's sort of like trying to reform taxes. Everybody games the system. And in this case, you know, you pay 100, you spend 190 million dollars to get 130 donors or something, you know. And it's, um, do you think there's going to be an effect beyond this year? I mean, if if Democrats are looking for a nominee in, in 2024, will these debate rules and this format change the who campaigns in Iowa and how they campaign? Yeah, it could. I mean, I I, I still think you're going to have the the strong pull of of candidates who will see. A chance to sort of, you know, do that whole Jimmy Carter thing and 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 pull themselves up in Iowa and, and become better known and 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 uh, maybe better appreciated. But yeah, I, I mean, I you know, if the, if the Democrats lose this presidential election, I don't know exactly what state of disarray they're going to be in. So it's it's kind of hard to project. And and also, if if a if a candidate that comes out of Iowa strong ends up winning the nomination and then losing the election. Will there be talk once again, yet again, of changing the primary calendar and getting rid of caucuses and all of those things? Because there's going to be some serious uh, soul searching after after another loss to Donald Trump. So yeah, I, I, I would place a bet on that discussion, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, and it may happen anyway. <laughs> yeah, that, and it happens if if somebody wins the nomination that didn't do very well in Iowa. So right. That's, yeah, that's yeah. always the risk. So. David Axelrod also told me that the, the large field is working against the people at the bottom uh, because caucus goers can process only so much or so many candidates. Uh, and a, he said he's heard from a lot of people who say they're not even going to focus until later because the field is just too large. And Thomas, I mean, you've been out there on the campaign trail. You've been covering the candidates and talking to people. Is that what you're hearing? Um, that I mean, the impression I get is people love all the candidates coming to Iowa but are they just overwhelmed by the choices? I think I think people are absolutely over. Yeah, the people are really overwhelmed by how many people are out there, and because of that, they're waiting till the common uh, theme I'm hearing echoed from voters is that they're going to wait till later to make their decision, and that they want to get more information until they make their decision. Um, and I think what that means is going to that means we're probably going back to what you were saying earlier, we're probably not going to see any 
actual movement from some people about whether who they're going to vote for till the caucus, till they have, um, till maybe even closer to the end of the year, and then they'll uh, figure they'll, they'll figure out a candidate they're going to sit uh, stand by. But for right now, I think they're just enjoying seeing all these candidates. I mean, it's Iowa, and, you know, the year before the election, it's caucus season at its finest, and all the you know Iowans all over are enjoying the you know going to the fair and enjoying to see all these candidates coming through. And it's more spectacle at this point, um, and it, I think it's going to remain as such uh, at least until December. And, and before I forget, the the next big cattle call here in Iowa will be the Iowa Federation of Labor uh, conven- annual convention coming up this, this coming week, where I think uh, 19 of the candidates will be speaking to uh, the Brotherhood of Labor. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see what the response is there and whether it changes uh, anybody's sort of standing in this big field. Uh, at the same time, I guess we should count our blessings uh, because according to the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, there are 836 people who have filed for president, uh, 118 Republicans, 286 Democrats, five communists, three socialists, 15 Greens, and a partridge in a pear tree. Uh, so I guess, thank goodness, oh my. we're not all coming to Iowa. Well, some of them could be here. We wouldn't know. Well, that's true. <laughs> and as far as I know, Todd, uh, you could be one of them. I, I I fill out paperwork sometimes that my wife gives me. I don't I don't know. I could, uh, maybe, Just maybe sign I'm, your name. Maybe and... I'm a candidate. Maybe I'm in. <laughs> well, another day, another Steve King controversy. He did it again. Steve King ignited a controversy. Um, wait, this must be an old script. Nope, he, he did it again. This time, King was talking about his conservative credentials on a variety of issues, including abortion, rather than just saying he opposed exceptions for abortion in the case of rape and incest. King wondered aloud whether we're not all the product of rape and incest. Uh, he told the Westside Conservative Club in Des Moines, what if we went back through all the family trees and just pulled those people out that were products of rape and incest? Would there be any population of the world left if we did that? Uh, Aaron, you were there at the the breakfast meeting uh, when King made this statement. Um, what was the reaction there? Yeah, in the room. Um, so as you said, this is the West Side Conservative Club. Uh, they meet uh, once a month in uh, out in suburban Des Moines here. In the room, there was no reaction whatsoever to that to that line. Um, it, it, no, you know, gasps or murmuring through the crowd or anything. It, it, it just went over like uh, the rest of the 40 some minutes um that uh, Steve King uh spoke um it, my eyebrow lifted uh when i heard that line i thought that was an interesting um ponderance uh, by congressman king uh but but yeah it 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 didn't uh, reverberate in the room at all and and then i i got back and um this the story had already started to spread on social media and, and uh, I started to get a sense of um, how, how it had caught fire that way. But, um, but, but in, in the room where it happened, I even talked to uh, one or two people afterwards and, and uh, none of them brought it up um, in talking about what Steve King said. So uh, it, it was interesting to see that difference between uh, just, you know, going uh, right past everybody in the room, uh, whether they, either agreed with it or, or or just didn't think much of it in general. I don't know. But um, 
and then you get get back and, and see the way it spread like wildfire um, outside that room. So far, I haven't uh, heard anybody come to King's defense or support. Uh, instead, the reaction from the 2020 Democratic presidential hopefuls, the pro-abortion rights groups, uh, King's primary opponents ha- has been pretty swift and critical. And um, Thomas, we've talked about this before, but Steve King has made outrageous and controversial statements. Um, so this is nothing new for him. Um, but does it hurt him? Uh, does it, is there a tipping point at which all these outrageous statements uh, begin to hurt his chances of winning the GOP primary and the general election? Well, there is, but we I don't know whether we're, when we're going to know what that tipping point is, because these have been publicized for years. Um, the outrage has been out there for years. So I, uh, Steve King has kind of, I almost feel like, become, you know, Iowa's sort of, uh, you know, uh, offensive uncle. He'll say something that people, you know, that'll kind of drive outrage, but then everyone will just kind of forget about it until the next gathering when he comes back and, you know, after, you know, says something else that's outrageous and people are out and uh, everyone, you know, and it goes and it continues from there. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think it should, it should be noted that, you know, King, um, for when he makes these uh, like statements, He'll then follow up and a uh, too. For example, after this, he, he, he uh, came out and on his Twitter account publicized a correction uh, for the article that came for the article, not in what he the part of what he said that people have taken out and you know found offensive, but for uh, just a part about, about abortion. And I think that's what he campaigns on. He's his one of his biggest issues is is being is uh, abortion and he's rapidly pro-life um and you know he considers abortion infanticide and he's you know you know says his candidates are people that support killing babies and that's kind of that's drilled up his support so as you know as long as his constituents are backing him on that issue uh he's probably he's probably fairly safe but who's to say for sure for sure uh, maybe, maybe hey, I'm cynical. Well, and and I and and, and Jim, I was gonna go ahead. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I was just gonna stay mm-hmm. quick. I, I just wanted to stay quick because because you asked about the, well, two things. Um, one, Thomas noted the the correction. I would like to humbly um, uh, note for our listeners that the correction was not from my story. It was from the uh, another outlet that, <laughs> that had ran the story. So just to you know, with a, a humble smile, I pass along that uh, little note. Um, and, and you, you said you hadn't heard too many people uh, come into King's support. It has been interesting, and that's why I think this one will not, you know, we talk about is this finally the straw that broke the camel's back for, for Steve King in that district. I don't think this one is it. Um, and, and the reason I say that is, is, A, because of the lack of reaction in the room. No one in there seemed to care that he said that. Um, and, and, B, I actually have heard a couple people uh, Shane Vanderhart, who writes the Caffeinated Thoughts, a, a, a con- Christian conservative blog, actually came to Steve King's defense insofar as he said what what Shane wrote was that what Steve King said about abortion and, and the cases of rape and incest, he agrees with in and, and that if you're really anti-abortion, you, you believe in that in all cases, uh, no exceptions. Shane did write now this thing about humanity was kind of an over the top way to make that point, but 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 he he Shane wrote that he agreed with 
the underlying points that Steve King was trying to make. Um, and, and Thomas alluded to that too as well. So I don't think, um, you know, even the Republican challengers who came out and criticized King, all of them were very quick and very careful to know, hey, I'm 100% pro-life too. You know, so, so I don't see this. I think for the people who have been voting for Steve King in the past, this isn't going to change their mind because they'll say, look, I agree with them on abortion and they'll just ignore um, the, the comment about whether humanity uh, will have survived. Interesting. And, and Thomas, to your point about him being our offensive uncle, uh, you know, given the, his views on rape and incest, perhaps we, he is our uncle. You know, who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're all one big family. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Uh, Todd, Senator Joni Ernst has already said she's not endorsing Steve King or, or any of his primary opponents. U.S. Representative Liz Cheney, uh, the number three Republican in House leadership, called his comments appalling and bizarre and said it's time for him to go. He's already been stripped of his committee assignments for previous statements that leadership considered over the top. Are we going to see GOP leaders, Jeff Kaufman, Chuck Grassley, Governor Reynolds, any of these people following suit and distancing themselves from King or going so far as to back one of his challengers? Well, yeah, so, so far they've, you know, they're, they're neutral. They're sort of, uh, they're sort of, uh, Saying beige, I guess, would be on, on this in this case. They're saying neutral. Uh, yeah, I mean, is there gonna is there gonna come a moment where maybe some of them decide to say back back Randy Feenstra? I think that's possible, and I think you know it, it's kind of up to King in a way if he you know continues to sort of make weekly appalling statements. Maybe that pressures someone like Joni Ernst to maybe go ahead and back Randy Feenstra and say we need a change in, in that district. I mean, they're, they're all doing these calculations. I mean, how popular is King still? How many people agree with him? And I think, I mean, I think, you know, the, the problem for Republicans is, has been outlined in some of the discussions we've just had is that as a matter of public policy, they, you know, they, many of them want to, you know, force women that have been subject to sexual violence to carry babies to term. I mean, that's, that's part of their abortion platform. And the fact that King said this, make you know basically their criticism was well this makes it more difficult for us to advocate for that platform because what you said was sort of ridiculous uh but those are the issues that are going to be tough for them maybe not in the fourth district primary but going forward and you know where does Joni Ernst looking at a general election want to be does she want to stay neutral or does she want to definitively let all of Iowa know that she thinks Steve King is not fit for Congress anymore. That'll, that'll be a decision that they'll have to make. Doesn't this create a problem for other Republicans? I mean, if Ashley Hinson and uh, Bobby Schilling and David Young and people like that have to keep answering for Steve King, because you know they're going to be asked. Do you agree with Steve King? You know, and, and so it creates a problem for them, doesn't it? Oh, it does. I mean, he's, yeah, he's he's sort of, I mean, it, you know, it's it's, it's a situation where he's going to continue to say stuff like this. He's going to continue to be big news, uh, and and Republicans at every level are going to be, you know, they're they're going to be asked to answer for that. And I mean, in a similar way that they're asked to answer for the things that the president says. And I, I mean, that's, you know, that's why when when you know you have problems like this, you probably should address them earlier than letting him 
served nine terms. So that's, I mean, it's kind of hard to distance yourself from someone that you've supported for the better part of the last two decades. Yeah, been and, saying stuff and, like this all along. And and to your question, Jim, um, we had uh, we taped early this morning Iowa Press for Iowa Public Television this weekend, and we had Senator Grassley on, and we asked him about all this, and and he was fairly uh, encourage everybody listening to tune into that over the weekend. But he was fairly uh, evasive on talking directly about Steve King and his comments. What what I, what I tried to kind of get at with him and what I ultimately asked him is, you know, you know, because he said, look, I'm not worried about these or comments people are making. I'm worried about, um, um, you know, serving Iowans. I said, well, you know, but you're an Iowa Republican and this is a district that Iowa Republicans have held for a long time. Do you, do you not have any concern that Republicans could actually lose the fourth district? And, and he, he insisted that he does not have that concern that even if Steve King is the nominee, that, that that district is red enough that uh, it, it'll stay in Republican hands. So that's what Senator Grassley had to say about all this. And from a political standpoint, I guess maybe that's all that matters is that it stays in Republican hands. Uh, I did notice last night uh, Steve King seemed to be very active on Twitter, uh, uh, more so than, I, than I've than i noticed in the past. <laughs> uh, so um, I don't know if that means anything or not, uh, that he's spending so much time on social media. But, uh, well, <clears throat> that's it for this edition of Iowa Politics. Um, whatever Steve King says next, we'll probably talk about it. I hope this edition has been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, well, you know, whether you love us or hate us, you've got to vote for us by subscribing to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. TGL will take us out with City of Five Seasons. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes. For Thomas, Aaron, Todd, and our producer Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Yeah.